if you don't have enough jazz, enough spark, enough passion to create a hundred pieces of content in your first year, you shouldn't even start. If you think you're going to create 10 and you're done, you're not. Welcome to another episode of High Fury Presents. In this episode, I talked to Chase Curtis. Chase has been playing with online marketing for years. He started dropshipping, but spent more on ads than he made in revenue. In this episode, you'll learn how to use the power of SEO to quickly rank your YouTube videos without having thousands of subs. My name is Unique, co-founder of High Fury, and I hope you enjoy the show. So Chase, tell us, how did you land in the online world? Well, it was a very humble beginning. I eventually hopped on the dropshipping hype train from, I don't know, I want to say 2013 or 2014, so several years ago. And everybody was just talking about, oh, there's so much money to be made. All you have to do is throw in a couple hundred dollars with Facebook, ad test, and then all of a sudden things just work out because you learn so much from your ads. And I spent about three or $4,000 on ads and made about 200 bucks back. From there, I did realize that there was money to be made online, but I wasn't focused in the right area or my best area. So from there, I just tried everything else and now we ended up here. But really drop shipping is what got me started. Okay. And you just, you just, you create a website and you create a couple of Facebook ads, contact a couple of suppliers and, and off you were. Yeah, exactly. It was a, I will say drop shipping is easier today when it comes to, you know, you download a plugin and you're good to go, but the marketing is still the same as ever. You're not going to get any sales unless you really nail ads on the head. And I never really nailed ads back then, especially on Facebook. It just wasn't my forte and the $200 worth of sales I made during that $4,000 spend, I'm fairly positive came from my organic marketing, but it was while I was running ads. So I couldn't differentiate. There wasn't any uh, trackers back then. Yeah. <laughs> A wild success. But you you kept going in the online world. You didn't you know, just abandon everything and, and I don't know, became I don't know, a sales clerk or whatever. You kept going. Why? Because like I said, that $200 got me hyped because I was like, okay, that is still technically, I guess, the easiest money I've made. It didn't happen the way I wanted it to happen, but it was not hard. And I was just like, let's see what I can do next. What area can I go into next? And I just kept on going with the flow and going where I just saw the warmest markets with the least amount of attention and just kept experimenting. And because I was trying to have that Uber moment, like investing in Uber back before Uber was a thing, obviously I'm not investing in these companies except my time, but yeah, that's, that's essentially what I do now. And many of these companies still haven't had their Uber moment or like just, you know, the online worlds and it's a baby since I've been on it for so long, you know, I do tons of Google searches for everything under the sun of like, oh, this part of my website's broken or, oh, what does this product do or reviews on this product? And then you start spiraling down and you realize that in the online world, there is an actual wall that you can't go any further. But I mean, before you enter into the dark web, but there is a wall of 
browsable information and then you come to it and you're like, oh, I could just sail right off this. At this point, I am Christopher Columbus. None of this exists anymore. And that's another reason why I decided to stay with it because there's still so much to be discovered and created. There's an actual edge of the earth, so to speak, in the virtual world. Hmm. And so you transitioned from like doing sales with uh, dropshipping towards, where did you go? I mean, right now I'm at a mix between sales and content, but really it's it's the content that's going to pay you for forever. The sales are instantaneous for the most part. You have to keep up with things. Like if you want to have a membership or something like that, you have to provide a lot of value. And I just find it easier to monetize your free value and maybe putting some time into going more in depth in certain topics and being like, Hey, like this is the free stuff. If you want to go more in depth, I put more time and effort in. Otherwise I'm, I'm moving on. Yeah. And so you transitioned to YouTube uh, immediately after the drop shipping uh, experience. Well, I mean, technically, yes. I can't remember if YouTube came before or after, but I did give YouTube a shot and it went very well. I learned like the basics of how to go viral, like tagging on to trending topics and such, but I ended up quitting YouTube, made another YouTube channel, quit that one. And then I seriously hit YouTube hard a year ago, literally a year ago now. You started uploading a video every day, I think, or not? Yeah, just about. Video every day. And if I didn't do it every day, I would make sure I batched upload three or four a day to catch up on the days I missed. I went from, I want to say, five videos on my channel that weren't doing anything to 430 some. So yeah, more than a video a day. So you started your new channel a year ago. Did you immediately upload videos daily or almost daily? Yeah, immediately daily because whenever you want to do anything, doesn't matter what platform you're on, you got to hit it daily. And really with YouTube, saw a lot of misleading information out there about how you grow. A lot of people are like, oh, you know, just let the algorithm do its thing. Eventually you'll get picked up by YouTube. But if you leverage Google, through YouTube or vice versa, leverage YouTube with Google. It just ends up happening so much faster because if you know a lick, just a lick about SEO, a small, a smidge, you can immediately take over search results on Google. And then it doesn't matter if YouTube doesn't like you, doesn't like your content, it has low watch time. You could bomb on all those things. But as long as you're conquering the search results, you you have all these eyes and everybody's hitting your page and then your click rate goes up. And then, holy smokes, you've got thousands of views, subscribers that would not find you through YouTube. And that was what I had in mind. Like, okay, I blogged from 2016 to 2019. That's when I really learned everything I needed to know about SEO. So there, it was years in the making, but I could have picked it up a lot quicker if I had been, I don't know, paying attention so to speak, going. Yeah, no, so what, what's your technique for ranking uh, your videos in Google so fast? It's so easy. And I've made multiple videos on it. If you have a question that you ask me, like, for example, you just said, what makes you rank your videos so fast? There's the question that I would write that down generally. And I would answer that question in two to five minutes and I'd post it. And I would put the title exactly as the question you just asked. You could do uh, what the experts tell you to do, like, oh, do something creative, something that like, you know, clickbaits the viewer into it. But if you do an exact question and you provide an, an exact solution, you're going to appease the reader, the watcher, and you're going to you know, appease 
Google searches and that's what I do. I go, okay, when someone Googles this, how are they going to Google it? Are they going to misspell words? Are they going to put this word in front, even though grammatically it doesn't make sense? And that's really how you have to go about it is whatever you're the best at in the world, you need to think of every single question that's possible. And that's how you generate content daily. And it's really that easy. And it doesn't have to be huge content, long content. It just needs to be searchable. Interesting. And so can anyone, like somebody who has like one subscriber, can they also rank in, in Google or do yep. you need a couple of that? Yeah. You do not. I realized that I had 13 subscribers last year at this moment. Now I'm at, I think, 1900. So not, not a tremendous leap. But when you look at the analytics, you're like, oh, this is heating up. But there are things that you can look up to see like, oh, how's my competition? But you don't need that many subscribers. You just need to have a, a solid description. And that's really all that matters because people slack on the description on YouTube. And essentially, your description should be a mini blog post or even a transcription of what you say in your video. Most people are just like, make sure you like and subscribe or, you know, they post uh, five links like, oh, go, go to this channel, go to this channel. I post what the video is about, other information like link, like I write it like it's a blog post, like, oh, here's links to relevant stuff. And then here's my explanation of what's going on in the video. And then I copy and paste the transcription of the video at the very bottom. So now it's a 5,000 character blog post YouTube video that's going to outrank anybody that just said enjoy because it's going to hit more keywords. It's going to, again, like when you write a, a blog post, you should have at least, at least 300 words. And that's 1200 words if you're being really ambitious and you want it to be picked up fast. But since YouTube and Google are in cahoots and you're using a well-known platform, you can rank in five minutes almost instantaneously. Now, when you're running your own website and creating videos somewhere else, it could take months. There's the trust factor and YouTube's got huge trust factors, just like Quora. If a question gets asked on Quora and there could be tons of content surrounding it and someone answers it, Quora is going to take page one, rank one, two, or three just because of the trust. Yeah. How can people get rid of their imposter syndrome? As in, if you uh, Google or, you know, Google on YouTube for, you know, how, how can I rank my video fast in Google? There'll probably be 10, maybe 50 other videos talking about that. How, mm -hmm. how can people get over that and still create content, even though there's so much out there? It really comes down to a Drake quote. And I might butcher this, Drake the singer. It's not about who did it first. It's about who did it better. The current content I'm creating is gaming content because I game every day and I'm like, all right, well, if I'm going to keep doing this, I better start getting paid from this too. Because everything else I do, I get paid from. How do you create gaming content that's new when games, especially the game I have, has been out for over four years, going on five or six? You don't. You really don't. Like The map's in this instance, might have changed. The guns might have changed a tad. But everything I'm going to say has been said before. So the best way is to add a new spin to it. So I'm essentially creating the same videos that everybody else has already created. But instead of it just being the same, I green screen myself in. You know, instead of having just the game playing and I'm dubbing over it like 99% of people do, I go, I'm going to have to go the extra mile. I'm going to have to get up there in a green screen and act like I'm a meteorologist on a news channel and present it in a different way. Otherwise, there's no reason why anybody should watch me. So how do you address your imposter syndrome? Just make sure that your setup, and I'm not saying your 
like finances or your budget. Just make sure that the way you set things up is the best you can create and do it your own way. The majority of the stuff that I did resulted from someone asked me a question and I knew a good amount of the answer, but I wanted to make sure like I knew everything about it. I Googled, I read, I reflected, and then the next day or a couple of days later, I responded when I was more knowledgeable. And that's really all it takes is you're going to know what you know best and that's what you should start on. And then generally, as your audience grows on what you know best, they're going to ask questions that you also know best. So you don't have to vary. Like the variation is very small off of your niche unless or niche unless you decide to do so. Hmm. And these gaming videos you're doing right now, are you streaming on YouTube or on Twitch or what are you doing? I'm not streaming because in my opinion, streaming is a colossal waste of time. There's just no discoverability in it like we were talking about with getting discovered on Google versus creating clips with those live streams might be better. But no, I, I tabled live streaming for the foreseeable future. I want to get to like 100,000 subs by the end of this year, and that's just not going to be the way to do it. The good thing about live streaming is obviously the connection with your audience and tips and subscriptions that come along with it when you become partnered on Twitch or it's just if you have 10 no, a thousand subs, I think you become available on YouTube. So that's not hard. But if you don't make enough money to stream regularly or you have a day job, it just makes it so much harder to create that cornerstone content that's going to drive traffic for years to come versus that's where everybody goes wrong when it comes to streaming is they just, if I do it for five hours a day, it'll turn into something, but it really won't unless you're answering specific questions, which even then it's not going to get discovered. So you have to turn into something else hmm. and so you're doing like small walkthroughs or what game are you playing and why i chose escape from tarkov it is probably one of the best games <laughs> i'm probably biased but it's definitely one of the best games on the market right now it's gruesome when i say gruesome i mean on the psyche i don't necessarily mean like you know you're not ripping people apart except with those big brain plays the reason why I chose it is because it's gaining drastic popularity i've watched the game for three years straight it is the only reason why I spent six, $7,000 on my PC. If this game didn't exist, I'd probably still be tweeting and that would be the only thing I do. So yeah, that propelled me there and it's just gained so much traction. Um, the walkthroughs I do are 90 seconds because a lot of the times you get into these 20 minute guides with a whole bunch of filler or useless information. I've been addressing the questions that are like, how fast can I answer this? And can I answer it faster to make sure like the game goes better for them? And when it comes to Tarkov, time is of the essence. You jump into a raid and you have a limited amount of time to get what you want, do what you want, and get out of the map. So let's say you jump into a, a map and you have a 20-minute guide that you need to watch, but you only have 20 minutes to do what you need to do. You can't. So they go to my video, 90 seconds long, blow through it follow along and then they're good. But yeah, it, my videos at the moment are just how to get out of the map because there's only a set points and then how to complete the quests. And you can do this with any game. And I've advised many people that are like, oh, I like WoW. How can I do this? Oh, I like Fortnite. How can I do this? And I had a Fortnite video blow up and it was a half cocked, half ass Fortnite video that was, I want to say, 51 seconds long, 100% retention rate, just about. 
and it was, oh, Fortnite had a new update. Now you can play as Iron Man or Wolverine or whatever. How do you find those superpowers? And I was just like, go to this part of the map, look for this, pick it up, you're done. That got 10,000 views in a month and got me about 100, 200 subs. So if you were to do that on a consistent basis for whatever game interested you, it's Cakewalk. Now, it didn't interest me. I was just like, oh, this is a big deal. There's a lot of stuff trending behind it. I'll do a short video and address it instead of, again, a 20-minute clip to show you how to go to this part of the map. Interesting. And so for people who are not into games, let's pick a different topic like mm-hmm. creating websites or something. I know you have some videos on that. How do you, I know when it comes to blogging or WordPress or whatever, how do you select what you're going to say, what you're going to do differently versus what's already out there? When it comes to blogging, you're pretty saturated. I would only, at this point in my journey, blogging totally pays off. It totally pays. But Again, that trust factor is an issue. So if you could, if you are a blogger and you can write instead of creating videos about what you know, I guess the best way to put it, when you buy a car, you get a manual and that manual's got 200 chapters that tell you, oh, why is my check engine light on? Uh, Why have my tires fallen off? When does the airbag deploy? How do I turn off the airbag? You need to have that manual for whatever you want to teach. Whether you buy the manual and rewrite it your own way, there's a very big book line called For Dummies. And when I first started writing, I was like, I'm going to go buy a For Dummies book and I'm going to read their blurb on it when I was writing about health at the time. And I'm going to expand upon that blurb and maybe you know, fact check it. And then I'm going to publish that. And I went through that entire For Dummies book. And then I went through an entire For Dummies book of dieting. Now, again, if you have your own manual, you've been doing something for years, it should just come straight off the top of the dome. But you should always do your research unless it's something you know 100%. So science is pretty much out of there. Politics is pretty much out of there because it's all so, you know, gossip. You don't really know. There's a journal here. There's a journal there. Which one's right? Who was funded by what when it comes to health? And same thing with politics. Oh, okay. Who reported this? Who wrote this? So if you're not in those fields, or even religion would be, it's it's, when you write about that, man, you're asking to get persecuted no matter if it's right or wrong. You're done. But we're not going to talk about that. When it comes to health and politics, just there is no manual for that. It's all, you know, whatever you think might work, gluten, who knows. But when it comes to the stuff you know, know, guns, cars, computers, electronics, like, oh, does this plug into this? Will it work? If you know the answer to that, you're good. And the way you create content is just dive into that. And then whenever you're going to get people that ask you questions when you create content, it's a guarantee. Let's maybe dive into another topic. I don't know, podcasting or... uh, Okay, yeah. There's no good way to put it because like every single one of my blog posts that I think is valuable to my audience is a podcast, which is a YouTube video, which is then cross shared. So you get all three whenever you want it. How would you come up with new podcasting topics? Well, one of the best ways is obviously to have guests. And that can be a very valuable episode because you get to see the host personality. They ask the valuable questions and then you get the valuable answer from the guest. But when it comes to creating ideas out of thin air, 
let's say your topic of choice is marketing. Where would you start? What would be the first question if an alien, and it kind of comes down to the whole thing you asked, or when you can't understand something, you're like, dumb it down for me. Act like I, I don't even know what's going on. Like I'm an alien that just visited this place. That's how you should address it. What's marketing? Where can you market? Is social media platforms marketing? Which one of those social media platforms should you market on? Which one of those gives you the fastest returns? Which one of those gives you the long-term results? Is there a difference between short-term and long-term marketing? What's content marketing? What's organic marketing? What's paid marketing? And you just keep hammering out every question that you've ever had. It kind of, it's like you need to brainwash yourself back to the beginner stage. Even though you know everything you know now, a lot of people out there don't know. And that's some type of I think it's like the curse of knowledge. I want to say that that's the theory or whatever that is. So you have all this knowledge and you just expect people to be like, oh, why aren't you on my level? Like, how do you not know this? And you need to go, okay, whenever this person asks me a question, it's probably a question that hundreds of thousands of people are going to ask over the course of my lifetime. Can I answer that? Is it on par with what I know and what I want to do? If it is, then yeah, you got to go for it. But when it comes to specific topics, I mean, it, it could range like, what is a car? What engines go in car? What is an engine? What is a carburetor? What is an exhaust? Why does exhaust sound loud? And you just... And you'd create a video for every section of the car? Video, podcast. And then whenever you do those short tidbits and you only answer 30 second, 60 second questions, it makes it so much easier to compile that into a ultimate guide, a definitive guide. Because at that point, all you're doing is going, oh, let me go through my logs, copy and paste this, what started off as, oh, I'm just going to write 300 words for this answer, is now you've done that 100 times. That's now 30,000 words. So you're like, okay, I can publish this now. And now you have a giant piece of content that is going to command everything around it. Now, there's more so with blogging than YouTube, because with YouTube, you have your 5,000 character limit with blogging. You could write a bajillion words if your host allows it. So you have all of those individual pieces linking to that giant piece and that giant piece diving more in depth to those individual pieces. So it just creates this giant problem solving FAQ that was put on it with a spin. And this is where I kill it when it comes to affiliate sales. And I don't talk about it because it's just so easy. And I've already talked about it so many times. I don't do it anymore. You dive into someone's frequently asked questions. Doesn't matter what you want to affiliate. If you want to affiliate Hype Fury, you go into their frequently asked questions or you somehow get a hold of their internal contact us reports. I don't know how you do that. Please don't you know hack the website. But you then answer every single one of those questions. If Hype Fury tweeted an answer to a question that someone asked them, you expand upon it. You answer that question because a lot of the times these companies don't have time to create an individual answer or solution for these problems. It's like, oh, here's our one FAQ page. It's seven pages back in Google, but it's got 5,000 problems solved but they're not going to be searching seven pages back. So if you create some new content that targets that completely, your page one of YouTube or Google or Bing or whatever. And that's what I did with card. I get hundreds of referrals from card.co. 
I don't work for them or anything, but I get hundreds of referrals from their, them a day because I found their FAQ and I was like, oh, all they did was either write a short solution or throw up like two screenshots. And I was like, all right, I'll make a video showing people exactly what to do. And people are like, oh, thank you. Like I couldn't understand the FAQ or I didn't even know where to look for this. And I found it here. And you're like, oh, hey, if you enjoyed my help and you want to sign up for card link in the description, you're done. Don't have to do it ever again. Cool. And so let's get back to YouTube. When your video is finished, you know, what are the things you do to spice it up? And how do you, you know, spread the word? How do you get more views on that video? I don't spread the word at all anymore. I just create content around topics I know that are getting searched for late in the game. And when we go a year back, what did you do to spread the word? I would just tweet it. I would tweet it once. Oh, and I guess I would also send it occasionally in my email. If I thought it was super valuable, I would send it via email. And I grew my email list just by offering freebies. Essentially, I would take the content I already wrote or the content on my YouTube or the content from my podcast, and I would just package it up and make it look pretty and be like, hey, if you want this, you know, put in your email. They're on my email list. I don't have to do too much extra. And we're good to go from there. So that's how I would email people or I would tweet about it. And as you go and as you improve the content you create, you really do not have to promote as long as you're paying attention to what is trending for you. But at this point, I just know that there's people asking the question because if someone asks you a question and you know the answer, whether it's multiple times a day or once a day, you know that someone out there is going to not ask the question because they don't want to feel stupid or ignorant and they're going to Google it instead. And as long as you have the answer, you're there. You don't have to promote it because you're the one that's answering that that is the promotion is the solution. Yeah. And I follow you on Twitter and a couple of months back, there was like an inflection point where you really saw your stats go up. Can you explain a little bit what happened? Or what? On Twitter? Yeah, I think you shared the, your, your YouTube stats on Twitter. Oh, okay. The real influx started to happen as the, I think it was just like, I kept finding a better niche and then a better niche and then a better niche and moving from that point. And I think you're referring to the ginormous influx where I got 50,000 plus views in 24 hours. And that was, again, I caught on to a gaming trend at the time. But before that, with the business trends, it just came down to, I'm going to answer all the basic questions and then from there, I'm going to delve into the hard-hitting stuff that you really should be paying for. And that's how I distant, kind of started to distance myself from selling all the time and also really growing more because I was like, all right, either I could make $100 right now from this or it could help me potentially gain 10,000 subscribers, tons of loyal viewers for years to come. Instead of just like a one-off, you know, that person unsubscribes from my emails and never talks to me again type deal because they feel robbed or maybe it wasn't good or maybe it was amazing, but they're too busy, you know, like, oh, it's free on YouTube. You come back, visit anytime, no expiration, you know, might have to watch an ad, but that's it. Hey, so you mentioned you kept finding better niches. How did you find those? Just kept answering questions. And then as those questions got more questions on them. I just kept following that comment trail like, oh, hey, why did you choose this? Where did you get that graphic from? Why are you on YouTube now instead of this place? 
why don't you live stream? How are your thumbnails so good? And I just kept on answering those. And then every once in a while, I do something to entertain myself that was off-brand, so to speak. And one of those off-brand videos that were just peppered in there would spike. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to create content around that for a little bit. And then I would just follow the comment trail related to that. And it just kept on going like, okay, this is kind of dying off. But one of the peppered videos that was rare, but I found entertaining would go off a little bit. And I'd be like, okay. Questions never stop, man. Hmm. And these come all these all come from comments on the videos. Essentially. Or if a friend asks a question or if I see somebody alluding to the question. Yeah. It all pretty much stems from questions though. And one of the best ways to create great content is to find questions that are actively getting asked on Quora right now and then going the distance and creating a blog post because Quora actually doesn't allow a question that has already been asked before to be published on their platform. So as long as that question hasn't been merged with a better version of the question, that means it's never been asked on their platform. And with millions of people asking questions, an unasked question is rare and it could be good to target. And that's in the very, very, very beginning of my days in 2015, that's what I did. I was like, all right, I'm going to wait for good Quora questions and I'm going to make a blog post instead of growing their platform. Uh, you also mentioned like the, the thumbnails. And I, I think I saw that on Twitter as well, where you were experimenting and increasing your click-through rate. Run us through how you improve those. It was really just trial and error and also just caving to what psychology tells you. When I first started, obviously my thumbnails were amateur and I've always had templates for my thumbnails. I never start from scratch except for a certain kind of video that I only publish once a week, once a month. It's very rare. So normally I have templates for everything. I open up an almost finished design and I changed two or three components and it's good to go. So it just came down to a lot of the times people would comment and be like, yo, this thumbnail sucks because of this. Or yo, this thumbnail is good because of this. And I was like, all right, I'll take it into consideration. See what the other YouTubers around the web have to say. And then I'll give it a shot. And then I would just update a whole bunch of them. When I say a whole bunch, I'd say update five to 10 of the newest ones and five to 10 of the old best performing old videos and see if they both increased in value. And then I would update as many as I thought were reasonable to update and then kept on going. Really what it came down to is even if you're a nobody, people love faces. It doesn't matter if You've got an ugly face, a beautiful face, a surprised face, a sad face. People just connect with it. They lock eyes with your thumbnail and they hate that they can't look away. And if you got a good title and you're answering their question or you're providing them what they're looking for, they're going to click on yours before they click on just, you know, a blank canvas. It would be like, you know, I'm right here in front of the camera for this clip. But if I was out here and you were only showing my like, instead of showing you and I having a conversation, if you were only showing this, how long would people stick around for? Yeah, probably not long. <laughs> exactly. And that's where I was like, all right, so I got to make my bases bigger because if they're viewing on a Nokia with like a screen this big, I don't know why they would, but they got to be able to see my nice cheeks and, you know. <laughs> that's cool. That's cool. Okay. So putting a face on your uh, thumbnail, that's important. What kind of software do you use to uh, create the thumbnails? 
right now just Photoshop. I just try to keep it as simple as possible. Photoshop is a great photo editing app. It allows me to get rid of any blemishes pretty much instantaneously. Since I have all the fonts, everything is set up. Pretty much all I change is the color of the glow. There's a glow generally behind me and a glow behind the text to make sure it pops, it stands out. And I change the color of that. I change the actual background, backdrop image, and I make sure I take an updated picture so it's more current with whatever the video, the time of the video. And did you pay someone on Upwork to create the template or did you create it from scratch? I just created it from scratch and you could definitely start with something from Fiverr or Upwork and then as you test and as people tell you what to improve on and what you could be doing better, you just gradually maneuver and shift that template until you've got something that's guaranteed to work. My thumbnails are nothing like, I mean, back in the day, they still had text, they still had a background image, but that was pretty much it. It was like somewhat relevant background image, big old text, and that was it. There weren't any like overlays, no crazy coloring, no glow effect, no like stroke or uh, outline so you can see anything better. That was all like trial and error. What makes this stand out more when I use certain colors? Is there a way to create something that looks good with black, red, orange, yellow, green? Doesn't matter what I'm wearing or what the background is. Can I make it so it's universal in a way and back in the day they were still universal but just not good click-through rates less than one percent it was bad now i'm like 11 percent. that's good that's really good and so let's say i want to start a new youtube channel and let's not do it in the gaming niche but somewhere else run us through how you would pick the niche and how would you start creating the first videos i mean to be honest i'm not going to do it to you but I would go into a gaming niche. (laughs) Dude, it's massive. It's exploding in every area. Every game has a cult following that is going to look for the questions. But if I, dude, that's, it's so tough because, and I just tweeted about this, or maybe I put it to drafts, but I literally just, no, I did put it in drafts. So this is an untweeted tweet. Everything in the physical world has been discovered. Unless you know of some island off the coast that no human has ever laid eyes on, or you know some tribe that doesn't know any modern language that isn't going to murder you when you go visit them, there is nothing else. There is nothing else. The only thing that you can do is spin something in a different way. However, when it comes to answering frequently asked questions from new businesses and attacking games and all that they have to offer, that that's undiscovered, so to speak, because you have the people that created it, the gods, the developers, like Hype Fury. If you want a fresh niche to go in on, go in on Hype Fury. You know, I'm the only one out there that's literally dominating the Hype Fury marketing, and I haven't done anything Hype Fury for a long time. I feel like I search up Hype Fury and it's literally like me, 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 the actual company, me, 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 me. And so non-gaming, this is what I would do. Find a product, an app, a software, technology, a business, something that you use every single day and answer every, do a complete manual on it, whatever it may be. If you love animals. You better start talking about every single animal you know, why they are animals, how they pee, how they poop, when are they doing it wrong? And you dive into that. And if it's you love babies and you have 47 kids 
I better see how the hell first off do you have 47 kids? You do it pretty organically, right? You just you think of a topic and then you're thinking yourself, you know, okay, what would I search for? What would I do? Yeah. What would I think? Yeah, yeah. And I'm the type of person that like, I do not ask people questions except Google. So Google gets all my questions just about. And if I'm going to Google it, I know that there's a certain standard of people that are going to be asking the same question. And those are my people Mm. because like I generally try to stay away from the very beginner answers unless I ask them myself. But you don't use like the keyword planner or Ahrefs or like stupid. So stupid. Such a waste of time. You're going to get people that are like, oh, this is low traffic or oh, this is high competition. It doesn't matter if you kill it. It doesn't matter. At least you you have a better sense of what people are searching for and not just yeah, you can look at search volumes and stuff, but there's, dude, I have the most random, I have the stuff that I Googled hard and like, how can I put these keywords in a specific order? And they don't do shit, bro. And then I have an article that's like, why does peanut butter give you gas? And that gets thousands of views a day. I have one that's like, why do you not eat the little balls that come in a shoebox? hundreds of reads a day. And I'm like, are this many people like wondering why they can't eat the freshener that's in their shoe? Like, uh, it's not edible. Don't eat it. But I didn't do any research for it. And the stuff I did research for, it's like, oh, you got one viewer in 2018 and that's it. It's like, wow. And you think also that's because it's a question that's able to be researched because of the keyword tool, because of all that. And there's a lot more competition. Yeah. And most of the time, whenever people ask a question, they're not going to ask it exactly how they would say it, but they'll be like, why do this? Why poop hard? Right. And if you format your answer like that, you're going to beat everybody else. That's like, is your poop hard? This might be the reason why. Mm -hmm. If your article is titled why poop hard and someone Googles why poop hard, you're going to win. And that's really what it comes down to. As I go, how would I Google this? And that's how I'm going to do it. And then I'm going to find everything else on this topic and make sure I address it or add it or reference it or link it in because just the more solid of like a piece of content it is, like the better it'll reward you, especially with blogging. And that is rippled through everything else that I do. But with blogging, they don't want you to just trap people on your website. They want you to have relevant outbound links. They want you to gain a backlink profile and all this, you know, look into SEO if you want to know more about that. There's a lot to it, but they want you to have all of that. And if you just get in the habit of doing that every time, no one will be able to compete. And if they do compete, they're just taking a small, a very small chunk of the pie. So you don't really have to worry about anything because you should be focused on your next piece, not what you did a year ago, unless you're trying to improve it generally. Cool. Hey, so you've been on Twitter for quite a while. You started about, I don't know, eight, eight or nine years ago. Why did you create a Twitter profile? Back in the day, I just made a Twitter profile to uh, say whatever I wanted to say. Like, oh, going to play sand volleyball today. Ate a sandwich. And then, you know, that was back when Twitter was an ugly app and nobody really knew what to use it for. And only a couple people had a lot of followers. And I kept doing that for years and finally like swung into like kind of a motivational phase. Didn't know anything about money Twitter or like motivation Twitter, inspiration Twitter, if that's a thing. But I just started following good people that were teaching me stuff. And I was actually learning like very valuable chunks of information. It was like I got into Gary V in Twitter at the same time. 
but I was like, okay, I can't grow if I only listen to Gary V because he doesn't actually tell me anything. He just like, he just spins, he spins me around in a circle and makes me feel good. So I was like, I need to actually learn stuff. And then I just followed people that taught stuff and eventually became better than them. And I was like, all right, now I'm the one that's taking the reins here. You guys can learn from me. And eventually someone will probably pass me and I'll learn from them. What did you learn? What were some of the key learnings? Email marketing, like word choice, better grammar. It really came down to just speaking and writing and learning how to do it better for certain scenarios. That was, yeah, persuasiveness and written and verbal and nonverbal form. That ties in everything you could ever learn about online sales, you know, blogging, YouTubing, podcasting. What's a good resource or how did you learn to write better or be more persuasive? Oh, man, it's been so long now for writing, at least. When it came to how to create a good podcast, uh, I just followed Joe Rogan's footsteps and was like, all right, he puts out a piece of content a day and it's hours long. I'm not doing that, but I will do a piece of content a day. And I did that for, I want to say, three months straight. And then I just didn't like the return on it. And was like, I feel like my time could be better spent elsewhere. I give things a 90-day window. Hmm. And then I assess how I feel about it and move on. You hear a lot of people about YouTube. You know, It takes like a year to see any traction and then... You know, you have to keep going. Oh, yeah. And I don't think they're wrong with that unless you have the cheat codes, which is, you know what people are searching for through Google. And that cheat code is definitely something that develops. It's crazy because I now have more traffic coming from Google than I do coming from YouTube. So that's not how that works. That is, I'm essentially ensuring my success on this platform by making myself unavoidable. YouTube is not as small and baby-like as it was back in 2011, 2012. There are now huge players. People do not want to watch somebody they don't know. Whenever they go to YouTube, they're going to go to their 100 subscribers. They want to see if they have new content. If they do, that's where they spend their time. These days, you're looking at two to three years before you make any waves, unless you're a hot girl. No offense to hot girls, but there's so many chicks that get paid way more than me for doing way less than me. So I'm not a hot chick. So I have to do, I have to rig the system. And that's, that's the focus is rigging the system instead of letting the YouTube take its algorithm. And I definitely see like steady increases from YouTube but they're not going fast enough for me. So I'm like, forget about YouTube and forget about them recommending my video. That is definitely something I want them to do. And I'll make sure that my videos are clickable through YouTube. But if I gain a whole bunch of, you know, it is organic traffic, but it feels artificial through search engines, then it's only going to propel me even faster. Whenever there's growth on YouTube, it's generally because like you partner with somebody who's huge or like you're mimicking their style. There's an actual formula to YouTube success and it's just too slow. So if you focus on being searchable and discoverable, you end up winning faster and ensure your success. Do you have any techniques? Because yeah, you were mentioning, yeah, I just look for questions, but they are pretty, you know, off the cuff stuff. How can people, you know, 
ensure that the search volume on there, there's videos and on the result pages that mm-hmm. they get traffic from Google? Well, my advice that has been, it's in one of my actual products that I sell, but it's not necessarily you know, the bulk of the product. It's just something I tell people, if you don't have enough jazz, enough spark, enough passion to create a hundred pieces of content in your first year, you shouldn't even start. If you think you're going to create 10 and you're done, you're not. You're going to say, oh, it's a pipe dream. Oh, it only works for some, but you didn't put in any work. So I recommend putting out that hundred pieces of blog content, YouTube, podcasts. And if you have no growth on any of those episodes, any of those videos, any of those written pieces, then you're just in the wrong area. And you are writing about something that either nobody knows about in the world or nobody cares about. And essentially, you're just waiting for that one thing, that one piece that goes somewhere. And you go, and then you need to basically brainstorm. Like when you were writing in elementary school or middle school or high school, whenever you were learning about writing, they used to be like, all right, here's your idea. Now create a whole bunch of bubbles around that idea that are loosely related. And then now create another like five piece spider from those other ideas that are loosely, but a little bit tightly related to those ideas. So now you have, you know, the brainstorming cloud and you basically need to have your main idea, you know, your topic, your industry, and then you need to have all those loosely associated pieces. Then you need to have all of those more tightly associated to those. And you need to attack all of, not the smallest, not the largest, but all those middle ones to see where there's interest. And then you need to move into those smaller segments and go that way. So you're technically three levels deep when you find the interest. And that's what's tough is a lot of people go, I want to write about health, but that's too broad. This really comes down to long tail keywords. It really comes down to that. You want to get as unique as possible. But you also don't want to become so unique that you're not visible. And then that's how you really navigate it. The way that I did it was, okay, I'm going to write 20 articles off the cuff. I don't care what the return is. Let's see if any of them go somewhere. Why does peanut butter give you gas? Okay, well, if they asked why does peanut, why do essentially peanuts give you gas? Because all peanut butter is is buttered peanuts. I guarantee you someone's probably searching, why does almond butter give you gas or why doesn't it? Why does avocado oil, coconut oil, all these things that are kind of similar to butter or peanut butter or oil that could potentially have something to do with bloating or gas? And I was like, I'm going to throw out 40 of those now and see where the most interest is. Okay, people like peanut butter. Now I should dive into peanut butter a little bit more. And eventually one of them's got to click and send you down a new path. And Whenever you create one piece of content, there is no path. It's, it's literally like one pebble in the middle of a garden. And you don't know where the thorns are, where the flowers are, where the bees are. You're just, oh, where do I step from here? You throw down your own pebbles. You start navigating that unknown area. And eventually you learn where the sweet spots are and where there's a ravine. And so... You had your dropshipping um, outing. You had the YouTube thing. You're doing stuff on Twitch as well. And there was a point in time where you decided, hey, I'm also going to jump into courses, create stuff on Gumroad. Why do you do that? And how did you decide what courses to create? It was basically like I would brag and not solely brag. I would give out a lot of free information. 
but it was just under noticed. You know, people would ask me the same, how are you doing this all the time? That's the question I would get. How are you doing this? And I was like, well, I'm going to answer that question. However, I've answered this question a hundred times now. You're going to pay me for it. And that's what I did. I was like, how am I doing this? I'll teach you exactly how I'm doing it from every aspect. And I'm not going to do it for free because I'm sick of answering this question for free. And at that point, I didn't start on YouTube. That was a year after. So I was like, I'm going to now create a course on all of these. How are you doing that? How are you doing that on different platforms? I was like, I'm going to answer all those. And then I got to the point where I was like, okay, well, I've answered everybody's questions. Now there's some discoverability on Gumroad. Uh, back then, I think there was lesser than, but yeah, that just started driving traffic and sales through their actual platform. And now I don't really have to talk about it anymore. So much so to, I got a new deal with AppSumo and I really need to finalize that this week, but they wanted to sign me on exclusively with them because I answered the questions that people are asking. What questions were that? First one I did was Pinterest. How do you create a profile? How do you set up your profile for success? How do you make it so you stand out? How do you grow so fast? How do you ensure that you keep growing that fast? How do you monetize it? How do you grow that monetization? How can you monetize it in 10 different ways? And then compiling that into a course. And generally, that's what every course ever is. If it's not that, it's probably a self-help book, something else that's actually just guiding you into buying the next book. How did you decide what to put in the course? It was like I kept showing people in my actual life because they would ask like, oh, what do you do now? And I'd be like, this is what I do. And then I would just listen to the questions they had and expand upon them. And normally the students would have questions about those questions and expand upon it. It really just comes down to Q&A. That's what the world is looking for because when you search something, you're searching generally for an answer to something. So it's all there is to it. You wouldn't be searching if you had it. Chase, this was fun, man. Thank you very much. Where can people find you? You can find me pretty much anywhere. Just Google Chase Curtis (laughs) and uh, some account will come up somewhere and eventually they'll all link together. So Google Chase Curtis. Thanks, man. That's a wrap on this week's episode. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss our next show. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us an iTunes review and give us a shout out on Twitter. See you again next week.